0: Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and this episode is powered by Stick and Ball TV. I'm excited to announce that Ahead of the Curve is now part of the Stick and Ball TV family. Stick and Ball TV is the baseball and softball streaming platform dedicated to coach and player development. It features hundreds of videos from top baseball and softball coaches and leading brands. There are literally hundreds of videos across all parts of the game, and I am so thankful to be a part of the community that they have built. We want you to join the community so bad that we are giving away one free month to each of you. Use the code AOTC2021 for a free month and check it out at Stick and Ball TV or on the Stick and Ball app on the App Store. Once again, that's AOTC2021, all lowercase. On today's show, we welcome Justin Toole, hitting analyst for the Cleveland Indians. Justin is entering his 13th year in the Cleveland Indians organization and his second year on the major league staff. Justin spent the first seven years as a minor league player reaching AAA and the past six years as a coach. He was a hitting coach from 2016 to 2019 and spent 2020 in his current role as the major league hitting analyst. Justin attended and played collegiately at the University of Iowa, and he spent a week in the American Association before he was fortunate enough to sign with the Indians as a non-drafted free agent. He just finished his master's program in performance psychology this past March. So on the show, we dive into the art of coaching. We talk about facilitating learning environments, blending intuition and science, simplifying analytics, and of course, psychology. Here is Justin Toole, Justin, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
0: For sure. I'm excited to get to interview you today and get to talk a little bit of hitting since you are, you know, a hitting analyst. I guess we'll we'll throw some of that in there too, but talk about psychology, the art of coaching, facilitating learning environments and just a lot of stuff that I think is is really gaining headway for for good reason. But I really, I want to know a little bit more about your job. The Remember, the guests heard your bio in the intro. So we got to hear your background, which is really, really unique. Uh, but tell us a little bit about what you're, I guess, what you would be doing on a daily basis once the season starts.
1: Yeah, so I'm um, really, really fortunate last year um, to be a hit, named a hitting analyst. I uh, spent my first year um, on our major league staff in Cleveland. Um, unbelievable opportunity, unbelievable learning experience. I'm really excited to you know dive back in and, and be able to do it for a second time this this coming season but um, a lot of a lot of what uh, what I do is just being there to assist our our major league hitting coaches so I'm kind of like the third member of our hitting team um, Ty van Berkeley is our hitting coach um, Victor Rodriguez is our assistant hitting coach so I'm kind of a resource for them um, to help them out whether it's diving into players um, whether it's tracking performance trends different things like that but also helping out uh, with uh, with advanced reports and things like that on opposing teams so kind of a, a hodgepodge of things that that I'm able to do but but mainly just being a resource for those guys and a resource for our players trying to you know if they have questions help them answer some of the questions that they have or you know be able to to, to take a deep dive and, and free those guys up to continue um, doing what they do so uh, pretty much look at myself as a resource and, and continue to still help out with some stuff on the minor league side as well.
0: Oh, that's great. And so let's go ahead and and let's hit on diving into players a little bit. So just for our listeners, when you, when you mention that, what does that, what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah. So I, th- I think a lot of, a lot of hitting, obviously hitting tough, um, especially at the professional level, you've got you know 140 some games at the minor league level, 160 some at the major league level. Um, and that's just including the regular season and everybody's goals, obviously to, to make it to the playoffs. But I think with such a long season playing so many games, I think, I think just kind of, you know watching trends and and seeing where guys are, like when guys are at their best, what does that look like? Um, When guys are struggling, what does that look like? And then, you know, going back and forth and trying to find similarities and differences. Um, I think a lot of the information that's out there now is really helpful. Um, I think a lot, especially at the professional level, a lot of the information that organizations have um, is similar. And, you know, something that I really enjoy is trying to find ways to take that information. How can we best um, you know, give it to our players? How can we best uh, translate it to our players? I think professional baseball, you know, you've got high school drafted kids, you've got college drafted kids, international um, signs. So you're looking at a variety of, of individuals from different backgrounds, um, specifically different educational backgrounds. So you might have a high school kid who doesn't have a college education. You might have a college kid who does. Um, but then again, you might also have um, you know, uh, international signee that was not fortunate enough to have an opportunity to get a high school education. So, you know, taking some of the, that information and finding ways to you know get it through to to the players is something that I'm really passionate about. Something that I've I've really enjoyed doing, and and uh, you know, we'll continue to enjoy that here in the years to come.
0: Oh, for sure. And and so I would love it, love it if you could provide an example of, you know, what you mean by being able to, you know, filter information and, and with the player and you don't have to necessarily use the player's name or just can you is there a time that you can think back to of where just something clicked that, that you were able to help, you know, facilitate that and, and, and it clicked for the player? Can you walk us do you have any situations that come to mind?
1: Yeah, for sure. I would say that I probably have a lot more situations where I was uh, you know, learning on my part just to try and figure out you know what the players like, but especially in today's age with technology and social media and stuff, I think a lot of the, the players are, are pretty educated in, in data and information and things like that. So I think the first step is in doing so is just figuring out where the player's been. So kind of checking their background like what have they learned, what have they been taught? Um, what are maybe their goals? what are they trying to work towards in terms of you know specifically my situation in their swing or offensively like what they want to do? Um, I think that's kind of the first step in being able to do that understanding where someone's come from. So I know kind of in the learning, learning circles, that's more of kind of meeting a player where they're at um, and assessing that. I think that that's the first part. And I think any time that I've had success with with trying to help players, it's it's understanding that part of it. It's like, hey, where have you been? Where do you want to go? How can I help you with that? And it's just really trying to figure out, you know, what the player wants and then give it to them in their language so that they understand it, I think. that's something that I, that I've had success with um, the past few years that I've continued to learn. Obviously it's a learning experience, but I think anytime as a coach, if you, you know, try to dictate or tell them, Hey, you got to do this, or you got to do that. I think you're on a slippery slope um, just in terms of of trust and buy-in and things like that. So um, anytime that I've had success, it's always trying to identify, you know, what the player wants. Um, how does the player understand that information? And then, you know, where have they been and where do they want to go with that information? And, and I, I think, like I kind of mentioned it before, but just being a resource and being there for the player, being available, I think is, is huge in that in that process.
0: No, that's really good. And I, I think when, you know, when I think at least my first reaction to filtering information is taking out information. And I, I don't think that that's necessarily the case uh, like it used to be whenever, you know, players were really just uh, and you still and people still get paralyzed by the amount of information that you have access to. But I also think that I thought you brought a good point of saying we need to understand what the player wants and then how we can best navigate that conversation because players are smarter as far as, as far as analytics go than they've ever been. And so uh, just talking about filtering information, I, I just wanted to bring that point because I think that that's something that, that I've really changed my mind on instead of like, and holding on to information that we're like, oh, players don't need access to that. So I don't know is is there any anything that you know that you wanted to hit on with that?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's spot on. Um, anytime you can filter stuff and figure, I think just being intentional with what you're working towards. I know, uh, and I'm guilty of this. You know, in my coaching career as well. It's easy to you know go into a, a session in the cage or you know go into a conversation with a player with kind of a goal or or a specific intent in, in mind. And then you find yourself five, six, seven minutes later flipping to something else or adding in something else or, you know, throwing in and layering on more information. I think I think just continuing to be intentful and specific with with the messaging um, is something that's super important. And I think that that allows you to kind of filter out the information. Um, But again, you know, understanding a player's language, understanding what the player has learned, how he likes to talk about the swing, how he understands the swing um, is definitely beneficial in that process.
0: No, that's a great point. I love that. So whenever you're talking about advanced reports, again, you can't, (laughs) you can't give away all trade secrets, (laughs) but that's, it's something that, again, there's a, there's just a a paralysis of of analysis that you could go into with the amount of information that they have access to. And so whenever you're talking about advanced reports, again, uh, knowing our audience, which is amateur coaches all the way up to big league coaches, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you found useful as far as game planning with advanced reports goes.
1: Yeah. And and again, I'll kind of, you know, touch on that same subject of, you know, partnering with the player and understanding, you know, what they want to do. But I think, you know, when it comes to advanced information or, or plans and approaches and execution in the game, I think you got to start off with, with the, the two sides of the spectrum. You know, what does the pitcher want to do? Um, what does the pitcher have? How is he going to use that to attack? And then also, you know, what is the hitter able to do and how can the hitter kind of combat that with with strengths and weaknesses and and things like things of that nature. I think those are the two main, main points that you can hit on. And obviously um, we'll probably touch on this as we go on, but I think individuality of the game, um, you know, certain hitters are able to do certain things. Certain pitchers are able to do certain things um, and just trying to hit on, you know, how can we maximize this individual given the task that that pitcher has presented that night? I think those are, are ways to look at it um, without trying to dive into it more than that. Um, I think just understanding, you know, as a hitter, what do you what do you want to do and, and how can you do it, but also understanding, okay, here's likely what I'm going to see, or here's what the pitcher has, and then kind of building a plan and approach off of that. And, and especially, too, at the younger level, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure in the psychology side, we'll, we'll dive into external cues and things like that, but just kind of giving a, a young player an idea of, hey, here's where I want to try to hit the ball, or here's what I want to try to do. Um, oftentimes for young players, any mechanical stuff that you're working towards seem to to kind of clean themselves up when you focus on the, on those types of things. So uh, definitely what is it? What is a hitter um, strengths and weaknesses? What do they want to do? How do they want to approach it? But also, you know, what does the pitcher have?
0: That's cool. No. And, and so when you're, when you're talking about strengths and weaknesses, I, I really, I, we hear this a lot, right? We want to, and pitching coaches and hitting coaches both are like, Hey, we want to stick to our strengths while making sure that we account for our weaknesses. And so, if if you don't mind, let's let's pretend that, and maybe you have someone in mind. You don't have to use their name, but kind of walk us through. Okay, here's the strengths of player X, and then here's how we could combat a pitcher that we're going to see tonight. Could could we do that? Like, I know this is audio, and I know that that seems really challenging after I said it, but I really I just want to to dive a little bit deeper into that discussion because. You know, we hear that a lot and I just want to, I, I wanna, one, I want to learn from you, but I also want to provide our guests with maybe a, a practical example like you gave earlier, which was really good.
1: Yeah, I, I think trying to kind of paint a picture, I think uh, adjustability is the biggest thing that comes in. And I think um, as a coach, as a hitting coach, you always want to try and you know maximize what a player is able to do. And I think adjustability, being able to get to different pitches in the zone, uh, be able to get to different pitch types, but also pitch locations is huge. Um, So I think understanding, you know, what players maybe have more adjustability in their swing um, than others, I think that that obviously plays into a plan and approach um, factor. But more than anything, I think kind of from a psychological perspective, um, when when looking at stuff like that, I think it's it's important to give players options, Um, you know, understand, hey, here's what a pitcher has. Um, You know, here's your different options, whether it's, you know, sitting on a certain pitch type, sitting on a certain pitch location. Um, obviously you're going to face pitchers that don't necessarily have just one pitch. They've got two, three, four, um, and sometimes five, you know, different pitches to throw. So just giving them options of, Hey, whatever you feel comfortable with and kind of giving the trust of, you know, letting the players make the decision in the box. Cause ultimately that's what it's about. It's about getting the players in a position where, you know, they have confidence in, in their plan and approach. Wow. They, they feel good where their mechanics are and they feel like they can go out there and, and execute a plan. And, and with that too, it's not, just executing the plan, but it's sticking with the plan as the upback goes along.
0: No, I love that. And, and speak more to sticking with, with the plan, because that's, it's one thing whenever you are game planning and it's, let's say, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon and you have this awesome game plan. And, and then it's another thing to when, when they have to step into the box and actually face, you know, Max Scherzer or, or Chris Sale, you know, two guys that, that really come to mind, but is that something that, that you have had to talk with players about, and and then major league guys have to talk with hitters about consistently of like, hey, we you know stick to the plan. Stick, to, I, th- I think it's it's something that's fairly cliche, but I'm sure it is like that for a reason because you know you have what what is the Mike Tyson, you you have a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> so I'd love I'd love it if you could speak more on that. Is that something that happens quite a bit?
1: Yeah. So I think just across any level, um, it's easy to kind of you know, like you said with the Mike Tyson quote, like it's easy to have a plan and approach until you get in there and the ball starts flying um, and you have to react to it. So I think, you know, building that approach, doing your homework, knowing, you know, what you want to do, what the pitcher's got, and then going up to the plate and, and trusting that. But I think there's also that other other part of it is is if, if the plan, things don't go according to plan, like being able to have the ability to adjust to what you're seeing. Um, and again, I think that comes to to trust with the player and coach relationship, you know, the, the coach has got to be able to trust what the player is telling them that they're seeing in the box and things that are going on. But also on the other side of it too, the, the player has got to be able to, to trust the coach with some of the information that they're able to get. So um, definitely I think it's hard when you put a plan together and you go up there and maybe you don't see, um, you know, what you expected, maybe your first couple of bats. It's tough to trust that in the third at bat, but oftentimes, you know, pitchers in today's games are so good that that they set up hitters. You know, for at bats down the line or games down the line and things like that. So, um, really, I again, again, hitting hittings is probably for me, mm-hmm. in my opinion, the toughest thing to do um, in sports. So it's just you know doing the best you can, putting a plan together, and then understanding when maybe is a good time to hey, let's continue on that path, but also hey, you know, let's let let's tweak this or let's make an adjustment. Maybe something that we see in the game, um, you know dictates that we need to change our plan and our approach. And, and two, that just comes down to paying attention to the game and watching the game as well.
0: Oh, that's great. And again, thank you for, for going a little more in depth with that. I think that, that you obviously did a great job answering a, a really tough question. And so uh, another thing that I think is really interesting as an analyst, I'm sure you're pulled into meetings of seeing guys from other teams and 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 coming up with, with just an analysis on them too, but also your own players. And so I'd love to hear – you know, whenever whenever you're tasked with that, with with analyzing a player that you're unfamiliar with, where do you start? Because, again, I, I with high school coaches that are listening, they're doing this with a group of you know freshmen that are coming in or guys that they haven't seen all summer. And so they're they're looking to just kind of add this. And when I think of analysis, the first thing I think of is, you know, mechanics, uh, because a lot of amateur coaches don't necessarily have access to the data that you have. But if, if you want to start with data, we can go to that, but just analyzing a player in general, whether it's psychological, whether it's with data, whether it's injury history, whether it's mechanics and, or all of the above, just kind of where you start, where do you start? What are your biases and what do you kind of lean towards that you've, you found useful?
1: Yeah, no, uh, great question. Um, I think, and I kind of hit on it before you'll probably hear a couple of themes as we continue to talk, but just understanding a player's past, um, understanding where um, you know where they've been where they're going um, I think that's huge when, when looking at a player so um, you know what, what and obviously at the professional level it's a little bit easier because you're able to you know go through the draft process whether it's high school whether it's college um, and be able to work through things like that but I think you know understanding where a player's been what's their, as their swing evolved you know where is it where has it come where are they at currently um, and then kind of assessing uh, some of the things that you mentioned I think obviously movement, um, how a person moves, their movement capabilities, um, what they're capable of obviously lends to kind of give you a direction on on maybe what you can attack and things like that. But I think just in terms of swing mechanics and looking at it, it's just, it's how do you transfer force from the ground up? How do you, um, you know, utilize your body efficiently to be able to obviously, um, you know, have adjustability within the swing, but also be able to, to hit the ball and impact the ball when you do.
0: Oh, great. With Within movement capabilities, like – how, how are you measuring that? Because uh, again, I, I, I really want to paint a picture and I, and I want to learn from you and, and we hear movement and it's, there's a lot that goes into that, but what are some different things that you look for as far as, you know, how do you measure that or, or what are you looking for whenever you, you mention movement capabilities?
1: Yeah, no, great question. And I think a lot of that, um, you know, from, from my, my perspective and my experience comes from, you know, teaming up with, you know, the, the strength and conditioning group and, and in our case, also the, medical group and, and kind of learning from them and then hearing what they're seeing, um, whether it's in a, the, the weight room or, you know, in the training room and things like that at a professional level. But, um, you know, I think, I think players will often give you cues on, on what they feel and what they see. And, you know, sp- specifically with what they feel on when they're hitting in the box. And I think just using, you know, your kind of resources around you, understanding where they're going, understanding what they're capable of, and then you know, pushing their limits of you know what feels comfortable, what doesn't feel comfortable through drill work. Um, I think a lot of times players will naturally gravitate towards things that um, you know reflect their movement pattern. So whether it's a drill, um, a certain aspect of a drill, or things that maybe, hey, this this feels better to me than that, and that kind of gives you a cue into okay, maybe he feels more comfortable because he he feels better moving a certain type of way compared to like a different drill or things like that. So again, we talked about with the plan and approach of giving. Players' options. I think through drill work, doing the same thing, giving them options and kind of maybe setting the directive, but giving them, you know, paths or choice within the directives, you know, we'll start to lend some clues on some of those things.
0: Oh, that's great. And I love, uh, love several different aspects of that. And, and I want to want to hit on that a little bit in just a minute, but it sounds like there's a lot of communication that's involved within you and the player. And so question number one is that true? And then question number two, I know you're working with very mature players. So you're working with guys who are the best in the world. They're in the, the 1% of the 1% of baseball players in, in the world. And they're, you know, most of them are 22 to 35 years old, which are what most would consider mature adults. And so that conversation is a little bit different than having a conversation with, you know, a 13 year old. And so, let me let me bring it back just a second number one is there a lot of communication involved and what does that look like and then two should maybe an easy one does it change with the low with the with the younger age kids
1: great question so to answer number one um tons of communication um tons of communication again um as a coach i want to know what the player knows where the players come from where the player wants to go um I, i love i tell hitters that i work with all the time um you know, there's never a time in us working together or us having a conversation where I don't want you to tell me how you feel. I don't want you to, you know, um, question what's going on. I want you to be able to speak your mind if something doesn't make sense, ask questions, um, you know, give your input because then ultimately at the end of the day, you want the player to, you know, feel their best, uh, that they have control of what's going on as they step in the box. I think that, that that's part of uh, part of that is is the communication back and forth. So I think something that I've learned as a coach, is, you know, how to ask more questions. Um, And I think that conversation, what it looks like for me, um, is me asking a lot of questions of the player, whether it's, you know, where do they want to go, what do they want to do, but also, like, how did that feel or what are you trying to work on or what do you think about this or how do you think that went. Um, I think the conversation from my end, um, when there is conversation, is a lot more asking questions. I would say early on as a coach, that probably wasn't necessarily the case. Um, I think that's something that I've learned over the past few years is, is, is seems like great coaches ask great questions. Um, they don't necessarily give, um, you know, all the answers, if that makes sense. Um, so I'd say first off, um, that would be what the communication would look like to a- answer question number two. Um, I do think it's a little bit different at the younger levels. Um, but again, I think that comes from, understanding the background. So I I know at younger levels, sometimes you're teaching a little bit more of the fundamental aspects of it, whereas you get to, and by fundamental aspects, talking about mechanics or, or, you know, proper loading process or, or whatever um, maybe for a young player, it's, it's they've never seen breaking balls before. So you're teaching them, you know, what a breaking ball looks like, how to hit a breaking ball, things like that. I think there's a little bit more of an educational piece when you do work with younger players. um, But I still, I don't think that that means that you can't ask questions and you can't continue to have conversations. Um, the best coaches I've been around and I've been extremely fortunate to be around some really good coaches, the really good coaches ask really good questions. Um, and that's something that, that I think regardless of the age of the kid you're working with um, I think that's something that, that, that everybody should do.
0: Well, it, you come by it naturally and you know, for our, for our guests, you're, dad is a former high school baseball coach and your mom is a teacher. You're basically coming from a family of teachers too. So how much did growing up in that environment and really now you digging into that a lot more, how much does that play a role in the coach that you are right now?
1: Oh man, that's huge. Um, Definitely wouldn't be here um, if it wasn't for my parents and my family. Um, I can honestly say that I'm a a product of my environment. Um, Growing up in the household that I did but also growing up, um, you know, going into my 13th year um, in the Indians organization and and definitely a product of that environment as well. I think growing up, I was told by my parents often to do this or do that. Um, Didn't really ask a lot of questions, just kind of would do what I was told. And it it was cool as I started to have success as, as an amateur and then getting into professional baseball. A lot of the stuff that I was told I continued to do, not necessarily knowing, you know, why what I was told was working or things like that. And so um, through college and then um, just recently finished a master's program in performance psychology. And through that process, I started to kind of learn on the back end the why of some of the stuff that my parents had taught me growing up. I remember in high school, um, I, was, I was a four-sport athlete. I played in, in Iowa high school baseballs in the summer. So it allows you to play a spring sport as well. So I would play football in the fall, basketball in the winter, uh, soccer in the spring, baseball in the summer. And I think one of the biggest things was being a four-sport athlete. You pretty much, when the season rolled around, you would roll out and you would play that sport. And then when that sport was done, the next sport you would roll out, you'd play that sport. I think the only one that I continued to work on throughout the year was, was baseball. But I remember specifically in high school basketball, um, you know, my, I can't remember my sophomore or junior year, but wasn't playing as well as I would like. Uh, Maybe it wasn't playing the minutes that I I thought that I should be playing and came home and talked to my parents about it. And the first thing that they told me was, you know, if you don't like it, uh, practice harder, have a conversation with the coach, ask the coach what you can do to get better. Um, And that was something that always stuck out to me is just growing up in in an environment of teachers and coaches. um, There was never excuses for anything that happened. There was never, you know, a pity party at home or anything. It was always like, okay, well, here's the situation. Um, let's figure out a way for you to work hard or ask questions to figure out the information that you need to and and go forward. And so I'm definitely very thankful for for those types of lessons. As, as hard as they probably were at the time, I'm um, looking back on it, it, it was something that definitely shaped me. But it's been definitely a, a very fortunate. You know, my dad just retired a couple years ago from high school coaching. He has over 900 wins um, in the state of Iowa. He's he's been in, involved with the coaches association there forever. So I grew up going to. <laughs> uh, you know, coaches conventions and riding the high school bus uh, with his team and things like that. So definitely, uh, you know, that kind of sparked my, my interest into, into baseball at a young age and very fortunate to, you know, grow up in that household and then also grow up, uh, you know, in the Cleveland family and, and learn things like that along the way as well.
0: No, I love hearing that. And I love, you know, the, just the impact that he's had on you. You, you could just tell that, uh, that you're a coach's kid, I guess you could say. Having some different conversations with you, which is really really neat. So uh, let's let's circle back to the communication aspect of it because I'm going to give you a you know just a situation, and then let's let's just kind of work through it a little bit. So a, a lot of us we are we are having to make mechanical changes at some point in a player's career, whether it's something that's simple or something that's not, and you know how hard that is just because your brain is wired to do things that are most comfortable and so it's we're going to revert back to that and so whenever you're asking a player you know let's say that that from you for you it's it's a guy in pro ball who's had millions literally you know millions of swings a certain way and then you're asking him to do something a little bit different because he could be more efficient one how do you approach that and just i mean it, it just well, let's walk through that first before i inundate you with, with a thousand questions.
1: (laughs) No, that's another great question. Um, again, I think the first part is, is just having a conversation and creating trust. Um, I think at the professional level, especially at the minor league level, um, I think the coach player relationship is a little bit different because oftentimes the, the player might not choose who the hitting coach is or who the pitching coach or the manager that they have at a certain affiliate is. So I think the first step to that conversation is, is building trust with the player. Um, you can be the smartest uh, person in the room with the best information and the perfect message for a player. But if they're not ready to hear it, it's tough um, to get a message across. So I think first and foremost, having a conversation with the player, trying to develop a relationship, develop trust, and then finding that right time of, of when a player, you know, maybe open to something. Um, And sometimes that requires patience. I think that's one thing that I've gotten better with. I still am not the greatest. My wife will tell you, my patience uh, is thin at times, but as a coach, I think you just have to be patient to find the right time um, for a player to open up to an idea or be open up to make an adjustment. And and sometimes it takes, it takes them going out and doing things their own way and, and figuring out, Hey, you know, maybe this doesn't work as well as I thought it would. And then opening up, coming back and asking a question of, Hey, what can I do to get better? Or on the flip side too, sometimes it works out where the player goes out and have success. and, And then as a coach, I have to step back and say, Hey, you know, that actually worked a lot better than I anticipated or things like that. So again, that trust aspect, I think has to be, you know, from both sides. I think as a coach, you continue to learn, you know, how different players tick and, and it's easy to sit on one side and say, Hey, I think that this would actually be better for you. But sometimes you just got to let a player go and, and when they're ready for that information, they'll bring it to you. And sometimes it takes, you know, 10, 15, a hundred, 500 times of saying something before it finally makes sense. Uh, But I think that that's just, you know, the art of coaching and, and you know the challenge of coaching, which I know quite a few people uh, enjoy that challenge.
0: No, that's a great point. So within that, I you know another challenge that we have is as we've got we're and we're getting more and more into I don't know if you'd call it the data revolution, but we're getting a lot more access to tech, whether that's again major league down all the way to the youth levels, and so we're we've got a ton of different things that we can use. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on. Just how do we blend the art of coaching, which we've talked about quite a bit on the show, which I think is super important. Uh, but, and you mentioned that it, it, you, you would call it intuition, but then we also have the science and the tech for development. And so it seems like the Indians have done a fantastic job of being able to do both of those because they hire great coaches, but they also use tech efficiently. And so kind of work through that a little bit to explain because this is my whole thing is you could give us every single secret that you have and we still couldn't replicate it just because we don't have the people and the processes and all of the different things that you guys have already set up and probably have for five or six years or longer and so but i would love to hear your thoughts on one just blending the art and science and then how we can do a better job of of using both
1: yeah no great great question um and i think you nailed it with the people part the uh the relationships and the people you have that's you know, that's the art of coaching. I, I someone told me one time, and, and this kind of resonated with me when it comes to tech and and everything that's out there with with the data. Um, if you look at doctors, doctors have been around for a really long time, but the technology that the doctors use has continued to develop. And if you look at things like X-rays and CT scans and MRI machines and things like that, as the more information came along for the doctors, it wasn't necessarily out there to you know replace the doctors, but it was out there to help the doctors. And I look think if you look at the tech with coaching, I think that that's what a lot of the tech, um, that's out there is, is, is to help coaches, um, specifically with, with a movement, like a swing that's, that happens so fast. And there's so many different elements that are happening. I think some of that tech, um, you know, helps to be more specific to know what's going on, um, with that. But again, it's a, it's a, it's a people business. Uh, Tito talks all the time about, you know, it's, it's about the people where we're relationships and, and working with people like that's, that's the important part. And again, regardless of how well, you know, the data and the tech and the information, if the player is not open for it, it's, 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 it's tough to get in there. But I think when you do look at the data, the data and the tech, it's, it's, you know, what does the data and the tech measure? What is it, what is it showing? So like a lot of times with, with wearable technology that that data is, is showing up as movement. So it's like, okay, what is that measuring? Are, are we chasing the data or are we trying to work on movement? I think that's something that is often, um, you know, confused in, in the coaching world. And, and again, I think the best coaches that are out there are the ones that can take that information and make it personable. And also they're able to, you know, get that message and present that information in a way that the players understand, but also a way that the players respond to.
0: That's a great answer. and And I, you know, looking back, uh, to a couple of years ago, as a high school coach, I was swimming, and the amount of information that just even a blast sensor, or we had a flight scope uh, that that it gives you. And so, for guys in that same situation that are like, I, you know, we have some tech, which is you know, those are some of the more affordable things, or you you can mention Rapsodo pitching or hitting unit as well, uh, and put it in into that bucket. But the guys that are looking to use it efficiently. I, there because i i know because i i've been there and i i still get in there anytime i get on baseball savant but uh-huh. what what advice would you give the amateur coaches whether it's college or high school or youth level who are like we you know we we see all of these teams using all of this data and and we want to help our players get better we want to help them get exposure and we want to you know we want to meet the needs of, of them and, and where they're at but we have, we also have day jobs. We also teach during the day. We have families at night. And so we've got this short window of being able to do that without a team of data analysts. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on how do we use data better on an amateur level to where it's efficient. We help, we're helping players, but at the same time, you, you're not spending, uh, you know, cleaning CSV files until two in the morning.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Great question. Um, I think that's, that's, the the answer to that question, I think, is, is one that probably not a lot of people would like. Um, I don't think that there's an easy way to do it. I think from my experience, it's just experimenting with the tech, experimenting with, you know, the information and figuring out, OK, what does this mean? And then, OK, now that if you start to understand what it means, then, OK, how can you move the needle in terms of, in you know, changing the data, either positively or negatively um, and then kind of throwing things out there? So I think you know, it's, it's a process. And I think that's what, what, uh, what, what hitting is, is, is it's a process. It takes a while. It takes a long time. A lot of, um, was listening to somebody just the past couple of days, um, either through a podcast or, or a webinar. I can't remember exactly what it was, but they were talking about how, um, you know, when you work with young kids, like that's such a great opportunity to, you know, understand how the body works or understand how technology works just through, you know, working with young kids and lessons or things in the off season. I know as a player, um, my, I think it was my second or third year, I started giving lessons in the off season. So spent five or six years giving lessons in the off season. And that was where I started to really understand the swing um, from a coaching perspective. And I think the more I started to coach with it, the more I started to communicate and teach different things about the swing, the more I really started to understand better myself. Um, So I think that's one part of as a learner is you have to engage with the material. Um, so as a coach that's, that's learning the tech or, or, learning, you know, how to use the data, it's, it's a crash and burn process, but I think the more you can step out of your comfort zone and dive into it and figure out what means what, and how can you change what, or affect, affect this or affect that. I think, you know, you put yourself into a better spot to understand it, but I do think that you have to really understand it and submerge yourself into it before using it with the player. Just because, as you mentioned before, the, the players of, of today's game, with social media and with technology they're more educated than they've been in the past um, right. you know whether that's right or wrong um you know i, I i'm kind of indifferent to, to that idea but knowing your player and understanding who's you know um been taught with certain things growing up i think if you don't know it yourself it's it's easy for a player to call you out on it and 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 that's something that in today's today's age with the players you really have to do your homework whether it's with a plan an approach or an advanced report, or if it's with technology or a player plan, um, a lot of players are hands-on with that kind of stuff. So they they have an idea of themselves of where they want to take it.
0: That's a great answer to a really complex, uh, really (laughs) complex like seven questions that I asked you in a row. So I apologize. Being the host of the podcast, I need to do a better job of that. But (laughs) One of the things that you well, really, we're going to end on really two things that you're really passionate on. So this may go for another hour with two questions, but you, (laughs) you mentioned facilitating learning environments, define that for us and and what you mean with that. Yeah.
1: So I think, uh, facilitating a learning environment for me is, is creating an environment where learning happens. Um, and I like to use the term facilitating, uh, because I think as, as a, as a coach, your job is to kind of stand around and maybe, you know, turn up the thermostat a little bit here, or turn the thermostat down a little bit, just kind of, you know, let the player learn and let the player figure things out um, as they go. And I think, um, you know, I love that word facilitate because I think it's it's something that, that the best coaches are able to do, whether it's at the youth level, the high school, um, you know, college, professionally, the best coaches are able to facilitate those environments where, where players are learning. And I think the first step to being able to do that um, – is you got to give the athlete a voice. Um, you got to meet the learner where they are. We've kind of touched on that a little bit. So don't feel like we need to necessarily uh, go over that again. But I think those are two things that, you know, in order to facilitate a learning environment, you have to, you have to know, you know, where the player's been. You got to, you know, where they want to go and also, you know, give them a voice so that they can speak up. But with that too, like understanding where the player wants to go, I think you can look at like mastery goals and performance goals. Like, is this a player that, Hey, they care about their performance. Like, you know, They don't handle failure very well. They want to be a perfectionist. If they don't perform well, you know, they're upset, they're angry. Um, You know, what are those players have? What are the characteristics that those type of players have? Those are going to be the ones, you know, that are going to be a little bit tougher to challenge because, you know, their performance really matters for them. So in a game like baseball where, you know, failure is so prevalent, understanding, you know, this kid really ties himself to performance you know, finding a way to maybe tailor drills or tailor environments to help that player succeed versus a player who, you know, is more, you know, focused on the mastery of the sport. So I think, you know, the mastery, the, the player that, that's got the kind of mastery goals, of it, they just want to become the best that they can be. Um, you know, I think those players are a little bit easier to work with from a coach's perspective because those are the ones that are like, hey, coach, give me something, I'm going to go and do it. Um, so I think understanding, you know, the type of, of, of focus and, and, you know, what makes a player tick, is, is is really important. Um, but I think also, you know, tying that, that all together is, you know, what does learning look like? Learning is sticky. Learning is, it's not linear. Learning is tough. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of failure when guys are, are are struggling and guys are learning. And the more you can build an environment where that becomes the norm, um, I think, you know, you're, you're going to find yourself, um, you know, a, a group of individuals that, you know, don't back down from challenges and go out there and want to get better. So I think there's, you know, obviously a lot of factors that tie into it, but I would say, you know, those are some of the things that stand out to me when, when I think of a learning environment.
0: That's wonderful. So hypothetical situation, let's say that I hired you to come and coach at a college and you, you know, this or that, but what I really want to know is, so what does, what does a learning environment look like, feel like, what are some like different practical things that we can dive into? You mentioned mastery goals and performance goals. And I I just really want to tie this all together with when a player walks in and you want to have facilitated a learning environment, what are some different things that, or even if you, even if you went to, you know, X college and you walked in and you saw this or that or, and, they checked all of these boxes with what a learning environment would look like for you. What are some different things, I guess, practical things or things that we can see and touch and feel and experience that, that you would, that you would give to our guests?
1: Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, in, in, within an environment, um, you know, there's going to be desirable difficulties. And and what I mean by desirable difficulties is there's going to be things that are tough that you want to be tough. So obviously you think of hitting, um, hitting you're going to fail a lot more than you succeed it's a, it's a tough sport so it's almost like that old saying of you know if you're going to train for a marathon you're not going to go out and, and run 100 100 yard dash every day you know if you're going to train for if you're going to run a marathon you're going to train for a marathon so it's like okay what is the task that we're given as as hitters okay let's let's put that into perspective and now let's find a way to add desirable difficulties to our training to match what we're going to do um, you know in in, in game activity or in game action. So I think, you know, that challenge is important, but I also think you have to have support. So as a, as a coach, you have to, you know, build that relationship, build that trust and be able to support the players because again, learning is not easy. It's, 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 it's tough. Um, It's not necessarily always fun. So like having that, that clear um, and specific, um, what's the word I'm looking for, having that clear and specific message of, Hey, here's what Mm -hmm. today's practice is. Here's what we expect. So the expectations, Um, The expectations of our practice is, hey, it's going to be tough. You're going to struggle. Here's what the struggle, we expect it to look like. And that's okay. As more, the more you can make those type of messages mainstream to the players, I think the better off you're going to be in terms of a learning environment. So I think the messaging is important. The expectations are important. Adding those desirable difficulties. um, And then it goes into the feedback. So I think, you know, the conversation that's going on for the player, like obviously the more you talk, the more information gets stored into the player's working memory and the more things they're thinking about. So it's like throwing an environment out there where the player is able to use their working memory to focus on the task, whether it's, you know, a ball moving at them or whatever it is and not being, you know, stuck on what their body's doing and their mechanics and things like that. Um, so the feedback is really important, how often you're giving feedback. Um, all of those type of things I think are tangible things that that if you showed up to Uh, an environment where you're around a good coach, you would be able to see what the message is. You would be able to see the clarity of the message. You'd be Mm -hmm. able to see the desirable difficulties. Um, You'd be able to see the feedback and how they interact. And again, we talked about it before. I bet you're going to see the coach talking or not necessarily talking, but asking a bunch of good questions.
0: Well, I love that you, uh, one, you did a fantastic job of answering that. And then two, we circled back to, again, the communication piece behind it. So uh, a couple of different questions within that. You mentioned mastery goals and performance goals. What's the difference between those two?
1: Yeah, so I think, um, you know, when working with players, the, the ones that the performance goal, they're focused on, you know, their ability and their performance. So it's like they tie their, you know, kind of their worth into their performance. So if you, for example, if you turn on a fastball machine um, and you crank it up, and a player's out there swinging and missing, um, the performance part of it is not there. Those are the type of players that are going to get frustrated and upset because they tie their, um, you know, kind of worth and what they're doing to their performance, where versus a, a person that's maybe focused on the mastery, they just want to get better. Um, so, you know, those are the types that are focused on increasing the mastery of the task. They 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 want to become better hitters and they're going to do whatever they can um, to to do so. So I think... Kind of understand, it. and if I look back at my career, um, you know, my freshman year at Iowa was really eye-opening. I struggled a ton, and I look back to you know me being a guy that was more performance goal-oriented. I wanted the performance part of it, and I think I didn't wasn't sure how to handle failure. I didn't know how to handle failure, so if things got tough, um, I looked back on it and was like, man, like I would get down, I would get discouraged, I would get upset with myself, and then figuring out ways through and this is what kind of got my interest into to sports psychology was you know how do i better handle failure how do i focus on you know the the um uh, the journey how do i how do i not necessarily um you know worry about the performance part but i focus on you know what i can do every single day to get me where i want to go in at the back end rather than living and dying each day with you know my performance in practice or performance in the cage mm-hmm. or whatever it is so um, when I look at mastery, mastery to me is more of, I want to get better at all costs. I want to become the best I can be at whatever task it is, where the performance goals are more of, I want to go out and succeed um, and have success on the task that I'm doing, whether it's, um, you know, baseball or or whatever. Otherwise, hopefully that answers that question.
0: No, it's uh, when you mentioned that, my ears perked up a little bit because I'm like, oh, I, I like that. So that's really right. good. Another thing that you, well, and well, a couple different things. Number one, I think that, that you, you're doing the legwork up front and and talking with these players about their performance that they're, or the performance environment that you're expecting or the mastery environment that you're expecting. And one that's going to let down their guard a little bit because now they know what's expected. And they know that because clarity is huge for me, especially with players. They just want, they want to know how they get better and they want to know how to play every day. And for your case, they want to know how to get to the big leagues with you. And so if they're, if, 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 for example, if I'm in in an environment in a cage and I'm like, I don't know what the goal is and I don't have, I don't have a clear message on what I'm expected. I'm just wanting to hit line drives every time because I'm like, Oh, that's, you know, if I light up the exit VLO gun and maybe that's a chance for me to get your attention and, And so on and so forth. But by laying the groundwork of, hey, guys, this is going to be dirty, but it's going to prepare you uh, to perform in a game. And that's our ultimate goal, which it should be. Then I think that that's a a whole different conversation and mindset within that. And I love that. Uh, But another thing that you mentioned was feedback. And I think that, that we as coaches, we're always searching for how to give better feedback or, or having an environment that provides feedback for the player and an objective. And so, that, you know, go back, going back, sorry, objective, going back to teacher speak. But with, <laughs> with within that too, is, is I've been guilty of this. And so I want to make sure, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it too. I don't want to take over the conversation, but uh-huh. I've been guilty of giving them a lot of stuff at the same time. And you talked about Uh, filling up that working memory, which it's super, super easy to do whenever we start rolling, because we know, we quote unquote, know the subject so well, Uh, at least we do more than the player usually, but giving them one thing at a time to work on and to really focus on that one thing. So, uh, a lot of, of jargon rolled into one question of how do we give better feedback?
1: Great question. Um, I think, uh, we talked about, you know, the art of coaching and things throughout, you know, this, this conversation, but I think, you know, part of that is, is the art of coaching. When I first started, um, and again, this comes from a good place with a lot of coaches. Like you said, like a lot of coaches care about their players. A lot of coaches want their players to get better. And in doing so you feel like you, you know, you want to, and you feel necessary to give a lot of information. And I know when I first started coaching, um, I mean, I would constantly throw suggestions and information and and things at players and Thinking to myself, you know, I'm talking a lot, but like, this is good because the players are learning. And, and again, it comes down to, it's not what I say as a coach, but it's what the player understands and it's what the player learns. And that learning part, it's, it's tough if you're throwing a ton of things at them. I think that's something that, and again, I, I can still get better at. I, as you can, can probably tell by now, I'm kind of passionate and, and easily excitable when talking about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a coaching setting, like it, it takes restraint sometimes for me to take a step back and, you know, be okay with silence. You know, I think that's something that when I first started coaching, you know, not saying anything or letting players think through things during reps or things like that are, are things that were uncomfortable for me. And it's still not easy. It's gotten better um, over the, the years for me. But I think, you know, that feedback, it's important to let players think through things. If they're constantly thinking, you know, mechanically or objective or on the objective or whatever it is, throughout their work, like that working memory gets clogged. And then, you know, the task at hand, it's tough for them to even focus on what they're doing. Um, and then at that, at that point too, if you've given them too, informa- too much information, they'll they'll shut down and just kind of not listen. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the appropriate feedback, I think it's going to be individual to the player, but I think when giving feedback, you know, making sure that if you are talking often that it's encouragement and it's energy creating the environment, not necessarily giving specific feedback to what's going on but again to what we talked about before ask questions you know Mm -hmm. the best feedback in a conversation with me and a player comes from what the player's feeling what the player's seeing um what the player's thinking um for me that's way more valuable than me telling the player what i think i'm seeing or what i think um you know i'm hearing and things like that so that that would be and i I think the best coaches give great feedback and again a lot of that is is in in the form of questions
0: sure sure and you know i'm I'm thinking out loud a little bit here too, but, you know, especially with uh, in your games, they have a lot of different focuses on attention because they've got, you know, 50,000 people screaming at them at one time and they're facing literally one of the top 1% of pitchers in the world. And so they've got a ton of different things going on. And then you roll it down to even, you know, the youth games are where you've got, you know, parents screaming things at you. You've got coaches trying to tell you exactly what to do. Then you're still trying to beat the pitcher. So you don't have the fear of other people's opinion that's coming from the dugout. And you don't want to walk back to that being out. And so all of these different things are swimming into their heads. And so I, I, I really I want to ask you this, too, because a lot of coaches are searching for they want to help with the mental game, but it usually comes at the cost of we don't want to do it because of time. And yep. so for you, you know, congratulations on your master's, by the way, uh, that you yeah, finished you. last March and, and peak performance. You. If, if you had to create a program for amateur coaches and you just gave them a couple of different things to do consistently, what would a few of those things be?
1: Great question. Um, really, really good question. I know there's within our organization, uh, Brian Miles is our performance coach at the major league level, he would probably give you a way better answer um, than I could on this. But I think, you know, I think you can, you can start to implement some of those things without necessarily taking time and, and, and focus away from practice, just by how you set up a a practice and how you communicate and things like that. So the first thing that jumped out to me when you're talking about that is psychological safety, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, setting up an environment where people can take risks without feeling insecure or embarrassed. Um, And I think that is one of the biggest things that you can, you can set up initially to be able to create maybe a a performance program down the line, but, but little things here and there, like just, just breathing, like, like emphasizing the breath, taking deep breaths, um, just to get you back to the present moment is so huge, especially in the game of baseball when, you know, the pitch is delivered and then you've got downtime. Um, so, you know, being able to, you know, pay attention to the breath, but I also think focal points are important. Something that, that I learned in college that helped me a lot, um, as an infielder was in between pitches. I would also often look for pebbles or little rocks, um, in the infield and would pick one up and kind of focus on it, um, for a few seconds and then kind of toss it aside. Um, usually in the grass because I was convinced it would give me a bad hop if I, if I threw it back in the dirt, but, um, <laughs> we kind of throw it off to the side. And my thought process was if I can focus on this little rock or this little pebble, if a baseball's hit at me you know, my attention and my focus, you know, I'd be able to be in a good spot with that. So I think there's little things that you can kind of implement with attention and focus um, and the breath without necessarily saying, you know, it takes up too much time to, you know, put those things together. But again, I think that all starts with creating psychological safety where, you know, you can push the limits of players and they they are okay with struggling because again, that's part of learning. Um, but when you're able to do that, I think that's where, where you can really set the the foundation of a good uh, performance or mental skills program.
0: No, I, you nailed that, and you know me being less of a a, a psychology major than you, and and then even <laughs> uh, both of us being less than than some peak performance uh, people who do that all day long. I was going to say routines, like just oh, your pre no pitch doubt. routine, your focal point, your breathing, and then just be making that a part of practice. You don't have to take out any of it, rather than you know the ten seconds or less before each round of BP or whatever. Which I think is really really good. So I I have nothing to add to that other than uh, I commend you for that because I think that, that that you did a fantastic job with that.
1: Well, I think that, I think that's a, those are great points that you bring up too. And I think not only your routine, you know, on the field, but also your routine off the field. Like, are you getting the right amount of sleep? Um, you know, nutrition. Um, obviously, with high school and college, like, are you getting your studying? And I know um, my college coach had us uh, had us do uh, kind of weekly journals where we would literally plot out every hour of our day and what we were doing within those hours. Um, and you could even give yourself, you know, time off to relax or do whatever you want to do, but just being specific and intentional with what you're doing on um, both on and off the field. Obviously that's, you know, the, the, the routine aspect of it, but, um, no great points, great points. I'm glad you added that in.
0: Well, thanks. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to, uh guys and those who listen to the podcast quite a bit i try and make sure i jump in on points that i wish i did better before or wish i was doing better now so i just you know it's not adding to add to your conversation it's just stuff that i know that i wish that i was was better at consistently
1: that's so, great i would say I, my, my, i'm the same way every everything that i've kind of talked about are things that i've i've learned or continued to learn or continue to get better at uh, by no means do i feel like and again i think that's the what you just said is is you know, the art of coaching, it's that journey. It's not a, it's a, it's a journey, not a destination. I think as a coach, if you ever feel like, Hey, I'm in a good spot. That's when the game starts to catch up to you. I think, you know, coaching is ever evolving and ever learning. I don't think you ever stop learning as a coach. So, um, what you said, I think resonated with me. I think that's great.
0: Perfect. Thank you. So I've, I've got a couple of quick hitters before you go and I actually added one on the fly. Uh, and so the first question that, that I wanted to ask you was what are some things that you've learned from Tito? And I know we could do an only, we could do it only podcast <laughs> with, within that, I'm sure, but just some things that you've been like, man, I, I really love this about it. Or, or I, he, you know, he does this or this well. So I'd love to hear it.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, not only from him, but just from all of our coaching staff, I think, you know, being a young guy. Um, added to a major league coaching staff that's been together for you know quite some time. Um, and I think it's probably one of the longest tenured coaching staffs in terms of everybody being together um, in the major league. So for a young guy like me, it's been a great opportunity to learn from them. Um, and I'd say the biggest thing that you can take away from from Tito or just from our, our coaching staff is just how positive they are and how much they love the game. Um, there's not a, There's not a single day that goes by Um, obviously you hate losing, but there's not a day that goes by at a baseball field where those guys don't enjoy being there and don't enjoy the grind of, you know, baseball. And I think Tito does such a great job with our players and creating a culture and environment where, you know, the players are able to police themselves, but also, um, you know, they go out and and they stand up for each other and they never back down from a challenge. So I think, you know, there's, there's, again, you nailed it. There's so many things I could throw out there, but I'll just think about, how they go about their business and how passionate they are about the game of baseball. That's, you know, something that, that, uh, that I've really felt and that I've, I've loved being around them for.
0: Well, and going back to the Red Sox days, it seems like players love playing for him, you know? And and so I'm sure that even from then there it filters down to the coaching staff that he's put together. And so that's, that's really good. And it's really cool that, you know, you get the opportunity to be around that every day. And, And I'm sure that's something that you don't take for granted but I, but I do, I want to ask you a little bit about your learning as well. And so what is something that you've been digging into lately that's drawn your interest and that you're wanting to, to read more about, or to, to experience more?
1: Great. Uh, great question. Um, uh, recently just had a son a week and a half ago. So he's a week and a half old. Um, I've currently been diving into how to be a dad, um, (laughs) which has been really, really fun and really enjoyable. Um, But he's he's been awesome. So uh first first baby boy and really excited and you know, mom and him are healthy and everyone's doing well. But recently I've been diving into that stuff. But I'd say just in the coaching uh in the in kind of the coaching environment, I think, you know, culture leadership. Um, you know, I after our season was done, um I kind of put together a little bit of a garage gym to be able to work out um and help my wife during the pregnancy since you know, with everything going on with COVID. Um, you know, trying to stay home and trying to find ways to, you know, continue to work out. So that's kind of been my outlet these past few or these uh, past few months. And I think in doing so um, inadvertently, I started to dive into podcasts, uh, books on tape, different things like that to get me through the workouts in the morning. So mm-hmm. what I've really enjoyed is then is, this podcast is obviously one of them listened to numerous guests have been on here and and other podcasts and, and, and different webinars and things like that. But I um, would say just have really enjoyed, I think, 2020 has provided so many challenges for so many different people and it's been really cool to see the baseball community kind of come together where we maybe have not been able to have the hands-on reps during the season, but just through Zoom calls and, and different clinics and different podcasts and things that are out there, I feel like the baseball community has done such a great job of throwing information and continuing to share information across various platforms. Um, so I'd say more than anything, um, I've been diving into just baseball talk that maybe we haven't been able to get, you know, in the clubhouse or on the field or in the coaches offices with everything that's been going on in 2020. So um, those are some things I've really enjoyed a lot of podcasts. Um, it's really made, uh, you know, my time in the uh, the old garage gym enjoyable.
0: No doubt, no doubt. And especially in a year that, that we had l- the least amount of baseball in our lifetimes, uh, it, it is good to, to connect with, with several Several different really good baseball podcasts out there. I did want to add sure. something because I completely forgot about it when we're talking about facilitating learning environments. And I'll tell a story within this too. You mentioned the power of choice, right? And being able to, you know, choose different things and the psychology behind it because you're owning one of them and it's not just something that's put on you. And I, yeah. I really, really like that. And so I've thought about that a lot. And as a dad lately, we have a two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old And you of all, you of all people know that terrible twos are coming and (laughs) I will tell you that it is, it is what they say it is. But one of the things that that has really helped me as a dad, and this is something that we can do as a coach, and this is all the older dads are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is the power of choice. And so like getting up in the morning, so we get him up, you know, change his diaper and then he gets to choose which shirt that he wears. Otherwise, there is no shirt that goes on because he would rather choose the shirt of the one that I was going to put on and he may choose it or he may not rather than me just choosing for him. So that was that was one of the things in the baby books that we were like, oh, that can't work. But I'm here to tell you, it absolutely 100% works almost every single time. It's crazy.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. That's, uh, you know, just being able to empower others um, through choice or questions. I think that's something that, has really uh, resonated with me over the years. So I uh, definitely am excited to uh, use some of those ideas uh, uh, on my son as he gets older.
0: No, for sure. For sure. I love that. So back to the quick hitters, which turned into uh, long at bats, I guess, <laughs> what is something That's that perfect. you've changed your mind about lately?
1: Oh man. Um, a lot of stuff. I think, uh, I think again, as a coach, it's, 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 a, it's a journey. You're constantly learning You're constantly, um, you know, challenging your ideals. Uh, I think that's something that I've gotten better at kind of as I've lost some of my perfectionist tendencies that I had, um, you know, growing up a little bit. I think, you know, just continuing to learn new things. I think, you know, when it comes to the swing, a lot of things that I teach or talk about within the swing are things that I did not do or think about as a player. Um, So I think anytime, you know, you feel like you've continued to teach the same thing or you've continued to learn or continue to talk about the same thing for an extended period of time, I think that there's, you're probably doing yourself a disservice by, you know, not necessarily diving in and and finding ways to challenge your ideas. But um, definitely a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today, like when it comes to talking and feedback and asking questions, um, a lot of that stuff is, you know, things that I thought at the beginning of my coaching career just a few years ago I was doing things the right way. I thought that, you know, and man, I feel good about what I'm doing. I feel like I'm in a good spot only to learn. I had so far to go and, and continue to still have far to go in terms of learning. So um, I would say there's probably too many things to specifically hit on in terms of, you know, things that I've maybe thought differently about. And I think even looking back to, you know, our, my first season last year in the major leagues, I think a lot of the the stuff that I dove into or the reports or things that, you know, I created for players or, or whatnot, the thing I think I was most proud of is as the season progressed, they got better um, Mm -hmm. or they were tweaked or changed. Um, So I'd say when you look at day one of the season versus, you know, day 60, the last day of the regular season, I felt like continued to progress and move things in the right direction. And again, that comes from, you know, the feedback and collaborating with those that were around me.
0: Oh, great answer. What is a drill that your players love or, you know, you speaking of, of uh, setting up a facilitating environment, what is, what is something that, that every one of us can steal from you that's practical that we can add to our practice plans tomorrow?
1: That's a great question. Um, A great question. I would say, and it's not necessarily a specific goal, but just asking a player how they want to be challenged. Um, You know, just setting it up, say, Hey, today's going to be challenging. We're going to make it tough. What do you want the challenge to be, and then kind of pushing them in that direction? I think just that ownership and that buy-in of them, um, you know, saying, "Hey, this is what I want to do within a challenging environment." I think that sets up, you know, they've already stepped out of their comfort zone by telling you what they want to do. Um, I think when they also give you that, um, gives you the opportunity to hold them accountable, saying, "Hey, this is what you know you wanted to do. This is something that." that you felt would help you out. So it's like, Hey, let's execute it. Let's go out there and do it. So maybe not necessarily a specific drill, but just asking the question, how can I challenge you today? I think it's something that you can add to any program and then implement, you know, a drill or something that, that you like specifically tailored to, you know, whatever it is that you're working towards.
0: Cool. And then finally, uh, I know you're a reader, you're a learner. If you could buy one book or one resource for all of our listeners, what would it be?
1: Oh man. Um, Whew. There's a lot. There's a lot. Um I'm trying to think here. We got I mean, I man, there's so many. I know there's three um three new books that I've recently just gotten. Um Doug Lamoff's new book. Um the the title of it is escaping me right now, but I the know I just got teaching
0: that teaching one, the teaching coaches yeah. one.
1: Yep, So teaching good. coaching one, Doug Lamoff, just got that one in the mail. Um, Matthew McConaughey's green lights. I just got that, uh, for the holidays. And then, um, I'm trying to think the other one. I would say those are, those are two good, great places to start. Um, just in terms of like recent books that are out there, um, talent code, code culture code by Dan Coyle, um, our books that have, have a great relationship with Dan got to work with him. Um, you know, over the past few years and the information that he provides are great. Um, Legacy by James Kerr um, is another book. Uh, Relentless by Tim Grover is another one that jumps out. I would say my first ever kind of sports psych book that that I jumped into um, that kind of got my mind flowing that I loved um, was Mind Gym by Gary Mack. And I know it's a little bit of an older book, but, uh, you know, oldie but goodie, I would say. And then obviously David Epstein's got a, a few different books out there, too. Um, range is one of them that I can think of off the top of my head that, uh, that I, uh, that I would recommend. But again, I think, you know, with today's information age, whether it's a a podcast or a book, anything in any type of, of, you know, field that you're interested in, I think anytime, uh, you dive into it, um, you know, you're going to put yourself in a better place than you were before.
0: Well, perfect. Well, I've got one more uh, question for you, uh, before we, we wrap this up. Do you play flag football with your wife's family on Thanksgiving?
1: (laughs) So, so I do, I do not, um, merely because, uh, she has, she has three, um, brothers who all played, um, college football. So, uh, and one professionally, so, um, would not try to choose that battle, um, with them. But the cool thing, the cool thing about her family is, uh, you know, being in a, um, you know, professional sport as a coach, you know, their their understanding with college and professional sports, it's, it's really cool. Um, we have a lot of similarities. Uh, we both really love sports. So, um, her family's great. They've been really supportive and, and everything throughout all of, you know, her brother's endeavors and, and as well as mine. So it's a great family. And the cool part about it is I would, I would actually classify them as a baseball family. Her, My father-in-law had a a batting cage in the Cleveland area for quite a few years um, as the boys played baseball growing up as well. So football, baseball family, I'm definitely, um, I'm probably the shortest, easily the shortest um, of any of them in their family. So I would not try to pick and choose a uh, flag football game with them
0: okay all right I had, I had to throw that in there a little bit so but anyways justin i appreciate your time and and I, I you gave us so much practical information today and so so much for me and our listeners to think about but i do want to give you the opportunity to just kind of uh, talk to our listeners a little bit before you go so i'm going to mute myself and is there anything else that you'd like to tell them
1: no i just uh not necessarily tell anybody, but just, you know, thank the the baseball community. Um, you know, I think 2020 now going into 2021 has been a tough time uh, for a lot of different programs and, you know, across various levels, whether it's youth, high school, college, professionally. And it's been cool to, you know, hear many of the guests that you've had on here and just across various platforms. Um, you know, it's been cool to learn from you guys. So I appreciate everybody out there that's been willing to share information and continue to help me grow um, as well as other coaches grow. And hopefully, Um, you know, something that we can take away from 2020 is just how, how much information and how we all can continue to grow and learn from each other.
0: Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.